Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, good morning, church family. How are you doing? I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. I don't, I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm sitting here in the office through the week, but the last two Sundays, we've been elsewhere preaching, uh, which has been a great privilege. We were down in Parsboro at Open Arms. Don't know if you saw the video with Dennis and Wanda there and little snippets of their brand new facility and the church is meeting in the facility and Doug and Lillian Lake are here with us for family camp this week. That's pretty exciting. Um, and then last Sunday we were on the island. Uh, we were at Faith Bible Church in Charlottetown and we've done that three years running now, three summers. Uh, we've been able to preach at their church and they've been looking for a pastor uh, that whole time. They're searching for a pastor. And I wish I could give them hope and good news when I'm there about other churches finding pastors, but it, it really seems to be bleak and dismal when it comes to young pastoral leadership coming into churches. There are so many churches right now looking for pastors, looking for leadership, and I, I'm only 12 years out of Bible school. I, I feel like I should have some names, should have some contacts, some people, some young men and women who are looking to go into full-time ministry and serve God in the church, and I just don't. I don't know where they are. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for his field because the fields are white to harvest. People are looking for leadership. Um, so... Back here today for Family Camp Sunday, um, you guys had Jerry Stearns a couple weeks back. He was talking about Assist Canada and the ministry to Cuba and the poverty and the suffering that they're facing there and the little bit of hope that they get to bring uh, in the form of monetary gifts and appliances and clothes and all sorts of stuff, but then also to carry the gospel along with that. Then last Sunday, Andy Arden was talking about his church plant that's happening. Well, God's church plant, right? He said that. Here's what we're doing in Spryfield. Oh, no, let me correct that. Here's what God is doing through us in Spryfield. That's really cool. Wayfarer's church. That was awesome to hear last week. So here we are, Family Camp Sunday. Uh, we're going to be talking about the theme of Family Camp, which is on the case. And I loved... Are you guys going to clean up your mess up here? Do we have to look at that? No? I love Sherlock and Watson. Didn't, didn't Jack like embody that character of Watson? I thought that was so good. I feel like I just watched Jack and Alex's relationship around the office every day. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but we're talking about the mystery and being on the case, looking at the clues, solving the mystery. Kind of a whodunit. And what has he done for us? So we're in Ephesians 3, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 3. When I was in Bible school, I thought that 90% of my job was going to be having conversations about Jesus with people. I was that naive. <laughs> to think that I was just going to be spending all my time chatting theology with people. And people were going to come with questions and we were just going to talk about God and his ways and his works and his plan of redemption. I thought... That was going to be the bulk of my ministry. And there are so many other things a pastor does that you don't learn about in theology class. Um, yeah, amen. Thank you, Dale. I had a chat this past week that was one of those conversations that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my lifetime having. 
and it was an awesome conversation. So here's the story. Gentleman from the city connected with us online, and we finally got to connect and have a conversation. We had an hour chat on the phone this past week. So his story is he was raised Catholic, altar boy to church. In his um, teen years, getting into a young adult, he walked away from it. And he got into some things in life, as every person does, and we all have our struggles. God showed up to him in a few different supernatural ways that he believes God is calling him and getting his attention. Praise God for that, right? God getting his attention. So, uh, one of those ways was, he was thinking, you know what, I, I gotta quit this, I gotta quit that, so if I'm gonna quit them, I need to replace them with something. I think that's good theology right there. So he thought, I'm, I'm going to get some literature that I can dig into uh, every time I feel the urge to go to this. Instead, I'm going to go to the books that I find. So he went to a store. Uh, he pulled out a book that he thought looked good. Inside that book, in that store, was a tract. So he looked at the tract. He looked up the website. He watched a few sermons. There was one sermon about baptism. So he thought, what's this whole baptism thing about? So he typed it in on Google and guess where that crazy old internet led him to? Faith Baptist Church in Great Village, an hour and a half down the highway. So he started watching some of our messages, some of our services. He started digging in. And then we have this conversation. He's got all these questions. So, hey, let's send you a call to follow booklet. I know some pastors there in the city. We'll get you connected. Praise God. It's an incredible conversation. But this guy is in the thick of the mystery of the gospel. What does it mean for him? Is he worthy of it? Do I have to clean up my life and check these boxes because I'm not really a church person, I'm not really a religious person? How does that work? How could the gospel be for somebody like me? He's weighing out the evidence and he's trying to figure out what does this mean for me? It was an awesome conversation. Pray for him. The gospel can be a mystery for people, can it? You ever think that you know something and then you have to explain it to a kid? <laughs> it's like, oh wait, maybe, maybe I'm not so sure if I really know what I think I know now that I have to explain what I say that I know, right? It's a good test. The gospel, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So Ephesians 3, are you in there? Now, I don't want to take a whole lot of time today. It's hot outside. We're launching family camp. We have all kinds of activities this week. There's an adult Bible study every weeknight at 7 p.m. from Monday to Thursday. There's kids' activities and a program every weeknight from Monday to Thursday at 7 p.m. the same time. That kind of works out well. Uh, we have a softball game today at 4, barbecue at 5. We want you to be coming to this stuff. So I want to provide for that and not take too much time this Sunday, okay? We've got lots going on this week. Ephesians chapter 3. The heading in my Bible says, the mystery of the gospel revealed. Does your Bible say something similar? I love that. The mystery is solved. The code has been cracked. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed. Ephesians chapter 3. Isn't that the best moment in the mystery novel? When the main character, the super sleuth, the Sherlock Holmes character, he says, here's how everything ties together and here's what it points to. Don't you love that? When they go through all the evidence, it's like, oh, wow, this aha moment. 
Does anybody live with someone or attend the movies with someone who just doesn't get mystery movies? <laughs> and the whole movie they're saying, who's that person? Wait, what does that mean? Wait, how does this connect to that? Wait, I, I don't understand at all. And they're just asking questions the whole time. <laughs> I'm not throwing my wife under the bus here, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of like that. I don't know, maybe you love a good mystery. Maybe you love that aha moment. Maybe you can figure out what's, my dad is like that. We start watching a movie and he's like, that's the guy. Just as soon as it starts, how do you know? And he's, he's usually right. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, let's dig in. Verse one and two. It's good to be here with you. I missed you guys. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's talking about his commissioning from Jesus. Do you remember Acts chapter 9? Paul used to be called Saul. He's on the road to Damascus to pull women and children from their homes. He's got written permission from the government. He wants to stop the people of the way, and instead, Jesus stops him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Go into the city, and I'll tell you what you are to do. So Saul sits in a closet, no food, no drink, No eyesight for three days. He's praying. God says to Ananias, a disciple in the town of Damascus, go to to Saul. Ananias is like, you sure, Lord? Saul, you know what he's done, right? And Jesus says, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. This is Saul's commissioning, and he's no longer known as Saul. He's now known as Paul because Jesus has commissioned him, sent him on a mission to do the exact opposite of what he was trying to do. Instead of stopping the people of the way, now he's going to carry the name of the Jesus predominantly to Gentiles. What does the term Gentile mean? Well, here's an easy way to think of it. Anybody who's not Jewish is Gentile. So the majority of us in this room, if not all of us, if you don't have a Jewish heritage, you haven't grown up Jewish, you are a Gentile. Paul's mission is to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. Now he is a steward of the gift of grace for the Gentiles. That term steward means that he's the manager, the overseer of the house. Like Joseph was second in command to Potiphar over Potiphar's house, like Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh over Egypt, Paul is overseeing the gift of God's grace to the Gentiles. He doesn't own it. He didn't earn it. He's just been given the gift of grace, the name of Jesus Christ, to carry to the Gentiles. So he can't be careless with it. He's been chosen by Jesus. Look at verse 3. He says, I I assume that you've heard of this, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Paul is in the know. He knows the mystery. How does he know the mystery? Because it's been revealed to him 
Not because he figured it out. Not because he weighed all the evidence and he found out, oh yeah, this leads to this, which points to that, and now I understand faith in Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. No, that's not how it worked. Jesus stopped him on that road. He didn't even stumble upon it. Jesus smacked him with it and chose him and said, you are my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. What does a mystery mean? Well, Merriam-Webster defines it like this. Something not understood. And then it says this. Or something that can't be understood. Something you don't understand, that's a mystery. Or maybe the mystery is something that is beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. Paul says the mystery of the Trinity, the Father's love, the Son's sacrifice, the Spirit's indwelling power. It's a mystery. It's beyond me. It's beyond understanding. But Paul says it was revealed to him. Now that term revealed, revelation, it's not just the last book of the 66 books that make up the collection of the Bible, the book of Revelation, but the term revelation actually refers to the whole Bible itself. The term revelation means what has been revealed. And the only way we know anything about God or his plan of redemption for all of humanity is because he's chosen to reveal it to us. It's not that we're smart enough or we're clever enough to figure it all out on our own. God has revealed it to us. We're going to talk about that further. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, when you read this, you can perceive, you can see it. You can Look at the evidence with your own eyes. You can see this and understand. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Just go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. We're blessed in heavenly places. He's blessed us in the beloved. We're chosen to be holy and blameless. We're predestined for adoption as sons and daughters. We have redemption in his blood, forgiveness in his grace, in him, when you receive his salvation, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, your guarantee until the day of redemption. Paul has insight into the mystery of Christ. Look at verse five. Paul says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What's he talking about? Well, he's referring to the most pivotal moment in all of history. He's talking about Jesus' life, his ministry, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his ascension. He's saying, look, the mystery, the mystery was that much more difficult for previous generations to understand. People who lived before Jesus came, before Jesus was born of a virgin, before Jesus was placed in a manger, this mystery was all that much more difficult for those previous generations. It wasn't made known to them as it has now been revealed through the apostles, through the prophets, through the power of the Spirit, to the church, to us. So here's a question, and here's a question I've had a number of times. The Bible says that salvation has always been by faith. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. So, all these people in the Old Testament, 
before the Christmas story, before the nativity, before Jesus' life, before Jesus' miracles, before his death, before his burial, his resurrection, if salvation has always been by faith, what were those people before Jesus, what were they placing their faith in? How were they saved? I've, I've had this question a lot. How did people understand the gospel message before Jesus came? Here's a term for you. You ready? $10 term that you can throw around. Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. Everything we know about God, everything we know about his plan of redemption, as we've already said, God has had to reveal that to us. But he didn't do it all at once. We know nothing about God except what he has chosen to reveal to us. Does that part make sense? But he didn't do it all at once. Think about Adam and Eve, day six, created. Okay, Adam and Eve, sit down. I've got a lot to tell you. Can you imagine if God gave them the whole picture that first day of their created existence? Let me tell you everything that's going to (laughs) happen. I'm going to inspire this book to be written, this collection of books. It's going to be 66 books. It's going to be hundreds of pages. Uh, But we're just going to go through the whole thing in one day. Do you think Adam and Eve would make it to maybe point number two and then just be glazed over? Like, how are we ever going to remember all of this? God reveals revelation to us progressively. My son, Reese, turned seven on Friday. So I figured it was time. Yeah, it was a happy birthday. So I sat him down and I said, son, here's everything you're going to need to know for the rest of your life. You just graduated grade one, so get out your pen. You can take notes. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. It wouldn't work, would it? Can I go play now, dad? (laughs) That's why God progressively reveals his plan of redemption and who he is over time, from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books to reveal God, his plan of redemption. It took us three years just to skim through those 66 books, three years. And we still have all kinds of questions. In Genesis 3.15, it's called the Protevangelium. It's the first mention of the gospel. The serpent told Eve to take the fruit. She ate, gave it to her husband, who's just standing there saying nothing, and he eats as well. And then God comes, finds them hiding, says, what did you do? He talks to the serpent. He talks to Eve. He talks to Adam. And he says in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, his heel will be bruised by the serpent, but that seed of the woman, he's going to crush the snake's head. Amen? Jesus had victory over the devil the day that he died on the cross and rose from the tomb and secured forever the salvation that we claim and preach and hold to and live day by day by in that one moment. But all they had to go on was that simple statement. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake. The first mention of the gospel. And then you have Cain and Abel, the sacrifice. And Abel responds to what God did for his parents by killing the animal and covering their nakedness. Abel brings the animal, but Cain brings the fruit, and God refuses the offering of the fruit. Then you have Noah. We get to have little more pieces on God's righteousness, his justice, his holiness, his wrath against sin. 
You have Abraham, you have the promises to Abraham and the land, the chosen people. You have Moses, you have the law, you have freedom from Egypt, you have wandering through the wilderness, they get to take the promised land under Joshua. And you have all these instances through scripture where you get a little bigger piece of the picture and a little more of the picture. You come to the prophets, you see Isaiah 53, he will be crushed, he will be pierced. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. We get more and more of the picture of who will this Messiah be? Who will this chosen one be? Who will Jesus be? And these people in the Old Testament held on to these truths as they were given progressively over time, and their faith was in the seed of the woman who would crush the snake's head. Progressive revelation. Salvation has always been through faith in Jesus. The people of the Old Testament would look forward through the eyes of faith to the future when that day would come when the Messiah would crush the head of the snake, when he would rescue his people, when he would provide that once and for all vicarious sacrifice, his shed blood for the remission of our sins and our forgiveness. We, on the other side of history, we get to look back and say, Jesus did come. He has come. And now we get to preach this gospel message, this good news that the Messiah is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one, the one who died on the cross for the payment of our sins and rose again three days later to give us new life and a mission and hope and eternity and adoption and blessings in heavenly places. We get to look back through the eyes of faith and say it did happen and Jesus is the one. That's the message that we preach. But this is all just a part of the mystery of how God works and what he's done for sinful humanity. Paul draws the focus to the implications of this gospel message. Now, what does this mean? Look at verse 6. I told the Journey Kids workers I'd be done in two minutes. So, I've only got three more pages left. We can do it. Verse 6, this mystery, Paul says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, there's so much packed into this verse. We're just going to skim the very top. Paul is speaking to a Gentile crowd in Ephesus, Greeks, and he's saying, you Gentiles, you now have the same spiritual inheritance as the Jews. You Gentiles, you now have access to the same spiritual body as the Jews. You Gentiles, you now partake in the same spiritual promise as the Jews. These statements are a big deal. And we don't see the full implications of them because we didn't grow up Jewish. We didn't grow up memorizing the law. We didn't grow up with kosher, with traditions, with all of the heritage, all of the suffering of God's chosen people, how they were set apart, sanctified, how they were chosen race, literally apart from other nations, and how God brought his law, how God brought his Messiah, how God brought his plans and his revelation through the people of Israel. We don't have that tucked away in our back pockets since the day that we were born, because we're Gentiles. For Paul to say this was was craziness for the Jews. In fact, 
Paul's kind of writing in response to a situation that took place in Jerusalem on his third missionary journey. He's traveling with a Greek from Ephesus, who Paul's writing to, and his name was Trophimus. Do you remember that name? And they're traveling through, they're in Jerusalem, and some of the Jews assume seeing Paul, seeing Trophimus, seeing them close to the temple, they assume that Paul took a Gentile named Trophimus into the temple. How dare he do that? And a riot breaks out, and they want to try and kill Paul, and Paul's arrested, and this whole situation unfolds, and now Paul is responding, saying that through the gospel, these Gentiles, who you are kicking out of your temple, who you want nothing to do with, they actually have all the same spiritual rights, inheritance, adoption, promises that you as Jews have. These are big, bold statements. Can't you feel what the Jews are feeling? I think this is why Jesus told that parable of the uh, owner of the vineyard who goes out to hire workers to work in his vineyard. And he goes out in the morning at the first hour and he says, look, I'll pay you this much to work in my vineyard. Awesome, great. So they go in, they start to work. He goes out through the day and he hires more people and he promises to pay them the same amount. Then at the end of the day, those workers who worked from the start of the day get paid their amount. But the workers who only showed up a couple hours ago, they get paid the same amount. And those workers who arrived at the start of the day, they say, whoa, 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 this isn't fair. We worked for you from the start of the day. We agreed on that wage. We've worked four times as long as these people who just showed up for the cooler hours in the day and just kind of finished up some things. But we did the bulk of the work and you're going to pay them the same amount? And then Jesus says, the owner of the vineyard says, who are you to tell me how I am to be generous with my money? Didn't we agree on that amount? Can I do with my money as I choose? I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Can't you feel what those Jews are feeling? Look, we've, we've got all this history, all the sufferings of our people. Did these Gentiles go into captivity in Babylon? I don't think so. Were they slaves in Egypt for 400 years? I don't think so. Did they wander through the wilderness for 40 years? Did they inherit the promised land? Did they have the sacrificial system, the laws, the customs, the traditions? I don't think so but they're going to receive the same spiritual gifts that we received? Paul's saying, yeah, that's, that's the mystery, isn't it? Paul knows that he's kind of hitting a nerve. And here's a little tactic for conversation. If, if you start walking on thin ice, you should probably revert to your own experience. Because saying, this is my experience takes the tension out of the air. When you shift the focus to yourself, hey, I'm talking about myself now, I'm not pointing the finger at you, this is my experience, it kind of takes the tension out of the air. So that's what Paul does. He says this in verse seven. Of this gospel that we're talking about for the Jews, for the Gentiles, through Jesus, by grace, through faith, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. You remember the previous chapter, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? which was given me by the working of his power, not my power, not my performance. And here's why, verse eight. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I was listening to somebody as they preached through this passage um, last week, and they said the Greek grammar 
in verse 8, where Paul says the very least, is actually pretty humorous. A literal translation would be the leastest of the least. (laughs) Paul kind of throws poor grammar in there to really emphasize his point and drive it home. I am the very leastest of all the saints. We talked about his conversion. We talked about who Paul was when he was Saul. And now Paul is saying, look, I didn't receive these spiritual blessings because of my heritage, because I'm a Jew. I didn't receive it because of my performance, because of how good I was at following the law. I was zealous for the law. I thought I was doing God's work by stopping the people of the way, but I was doing the opposite of what God wanted. And it's only because of his grace and mercy that I stand here today preaching this gospel message to the Gentiles. It's a mystery. Why would God choose me? Do you ever think that? Why would God choose me? That was the conversation this past week. You know what? I'm not really a church person. I'm not really a religious person. I have a few other boxes to check before I can come and present myself to God. But that's not the gospel message, is it? God doesn't receive us because of us. He doesn't receive us based on our performance. It's like the verse says, the end of verse 7, because of the working of his power. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. God knows what you've done. and He loves you anyway. Let's finish off this passage. Uh, Verse 9. To bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? That's that progressive revelation that we're talking about. God created all things. Verse 10. So that through the... Say it with me now. Say it like you believe it. So that through the church. Do you believe that? I don't know if I believe that you believe that. So that through the church. Man, you can look at the grandeur of the mountain. You can look at the stars in the night sky. We're on the beach in PEI looking at those stars. Man, you can see so many stars. God doesn't reveal the mystery of his gospel through the stars. He doesn't reveal it through the grandeur of the mountain as that mist hangs and looms and you can see trees for miles. He reveals it, verse 10, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Isn't that not beautiful? Do you know Open Arms in Parsboro? Their, their mission statement is to make Jesus known. To know Jesus, to make Jesus known. Did I get that right? To know Jesus, to make Jesus known. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It's like Paul skips the human audience, the Jews and Gentiles, and he jumps right to the angels and the spiritual powers and principalities. And he says, through the church, I'm going to demonstrate through the, to the angels, to the spiritual realm, my manifold wisdom and my plan of redemption. Isn't that crazy? There's a verse in the Bible that talks about entertaining angels unaware. Here Paul says that through the church, God's going to display his glory to the angels. His manifold wisdom in his plan of redemption. That's crazy. Look at verse 11. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This isn't plan B. This is the plan of redemption all along. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Not our performance, not our works. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. God is revealing the manifold wisdom of his gospel plan of redemption through the church. When we're the hands and feet of Jesus, when we choose to love because he first loved us, when we respond to the gospel message by uniting together under the name of Jesus and the name of the cross, God is displaying the gospel through us. I just think that's a beautiful thought. So here's the mystery. Jews and Gentiles now receive the same spiritual blessing because it's not based on who you are or where you come from. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. Here's mystery number two. God chose you. Mystery number three. God uses the church to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to the world and also to the spiritual realm. So, we're on the case this week. Family camp 2022. Are you ready? Good. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, we thank you for Paul, for Ephesians chapter 3, for the mystery of the gospel. Thank you that you have given us the gift of faith. That Holy Spirit, you have opened our eyes and you have illuminated the scriptures to us so that we can understand the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you that you've died on the cross to pay for our sins. And that by simply placing our faith and trust in what you have done for us on that cross, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have chains broken. We can have broken hearts mended. Jesus, thank you that we can have new life because you rose from that grave. Jesus, thank you that that ultimate enemy of sin and, and death and hell and Satan's power, it's all broken because of what you accomplished in our place. That should have been us on that cross. We thank you in this mystery of the gospel that you took our place. The sinless prince of heaven, you left your throne. You lived this earth for 33 years. That's my age. And then you died on the cross. You didn't just die on the cross for the whole world. You died on the cross for me, for the likes of even me. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. If there are any here today participating in the room or online, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, their ears, their hearts to this mystery. That you know us. You know us more than anyone knows us. You know us more than we know ourselves. You know all the skeletons in our closet and the things in our past. And you choose to love us anyway. And Jesus, you took all that to the cross. You paid the price for it. Whether we receive your salvation or not, you paid the price for it, so we thank you. God, help us to respond in faith today. Help us to admit our sin, to believe that you died and rose again, and to call out on the name of the Lord and receive that gift of salvation today. Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.